So for everybody who's uh, remaining, thank you very much for coming back. You knew that it was going to be me up here talking, and you came anyway. So that's either because you're not outright rejecting me or because you're just faithful to the house of God. I'm, I'm choosing to believe that you're not outright rejecting me. But the zipper is refusing to obey with me. There we go. That's what I get for using a Bible case instead of just carrying it loose. Hey, so uh, last week we had our introduction in the book of Amos. We took a look at who he is. We took a look at the historical context of when it was that he prophesied. And so we're continuing in the book of Amos. And we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at the visions that God gave to him. Okay, we're going to take a look at the visions and um, the call to repentance that are implied in those visions. Okay, so just, uh, again, thank you for coming out. And I hope that uh, as, we, as we bow in prayer together that you will pray for me. I think, man, when pastor was praying and he prayed for all the classes and all the teachers, I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Um, uh, man. I need prayer, and um, I'm, I'm sure you guys can relate to that. I'm not calling you guys a bunch of heathens or anything, but boy, this battle with the flesh is, is real, isn't it? And so, anyhow, let's take a look at how, how these people failed their battle with the flesh and how we can, uh, we can learn from their mistakes. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for the book of Amos and for all that we can learn from it. And thank you for the visions that you gave to him and his obedience in leaving his land, leaving his job, and going to deliver a message to a people who are hostile to receive it. And uh, I thank you that tonight I have the luxury, the benefit of bringing the message to a group, group of people who love you, who are taking time out of their week, out of their evening that they could have been spending at home, sitting around, relaxing. And uh, they, they chose to pack up, get dressed, and come out here to church and, uh, and hear from you. So I ask that it will be fruitful for them, that it will be worth it to them. Uh, please open all of our hearts, tenderize our hearts, and just help us to learn from this book um, for what you had for, for your people back then and for what you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we talked, uh, again, like I said, the historical context, who Amos is, where he came from, what it was like when he went and delivered that message. And so now we're going to take a look Skipping forward, I, I, I told you guys that we were going to, going to have to do some skipping around and look at themes, look at topics that we weren't going to be able to do a verse-by-verse -verse study like we did with Jonah. And I know that um, our, our church in the past has been very topical, and, and lately with, with our, our pastor that we have today, that, thank the Lord that we're going verse-by-verse, -verse, very careful study through the Word of God. And I'm a firm believer that that's how we ought to study the Word of God, that that's how the Word of God ought to be preached, verse by verse, that the people will understand what the Bible means. But, uh, you know, if, if we're doing our job as, as Christians and we're reading our Bible, then it doesn't hurt us in our walk with God to come to church and, and hear a topical message. You know, our, our walk with the Lord won't be hurt at all if we have topical messages sprinkled in from time to time, or maybe even have a whole series on a specific topic. And so it's perfectly fine. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't do it that way. But I do really enjoy the, the, the blessings that come from mining the word of God verse by verse. 
But uh, like I said, you know, with, with nine chapters in this book, uh, and, and, you know, there's seven weeks that we have to study the book of Amos, you know, and, and we're already on the second session. So there's just, there's not enough time to go verse by verse. So we're skipping forward. We're skipping forward, forward tonight. We're looking at the visions of Amos and the call to repentance. Okay. So we'll begin with Amos's vision. So if you can turn with me to Amos chapter 7, that's where we're going to begin tonight. And that makes it sound like we're going to end up somewhere else. That's where we're going to be tonight, is Amos chapter 7. That's where we'll study. We'll take a look at Amos chapter 7, verses 1 through 9 to begin. These are going to be the visions. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, he formed grasshoppers in the beginning of the shooting up of the latter growth. And lo, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And it came to pass that when they had made an end of eating the grass of the land, then I said, O Lord God, forgive, I beseech thee, by whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. It shall not be, saith the Lord. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me. And behold, the Lord God called to contend by fire, and it devoured the great deep, and did eat up a part. Then said I, O Lord God, cease, I beseech thee. By whom shall Jacob arise? For he is small. The Lord repented for this. This also shall not be, saith the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Well, that's, that's pretty deep. And uh, as, as Amos saw these visions, he's, he's just kind of taken back. Lord, don't let it be. So we'll go ahead and take a look at that. So Amos, Amos was called by God to carry a message, to leave his homeland and to go into the north and carry a message. And so you think, okay, so there's a message from the Lord. You know, our previous study was on Jonah. Jonah had a message from the Lord. And when he went and preached that message, we saw that it was a simple five-word sermon that he delivered, right? Now, God didn't give just a simple five-word message to Amos. And I would imagine that if Jonah would have been right with God, that it probably would have been a few more words than, than five. But that's not the point. We already studied that book. Uh, looking at Amos, God didn't give him a script. He didn't say, okay, this is the message, Amos. Just, just write that down real quick and then go on into the temple there and contend with the priests, contend with the people. Just go ahead and read from this script and, and that's it. God gave Amos visions. He gave, he, gave him, he gave him visions way beyond just a script. He said, hey, here's something that I want you to see. I want you to understand what I plan to do. And from what we just read, we understand that three of these visions were a swarm of locusts, a consuming fire, and a plumb line. So let's take a look first at the, the swarm of locusts. In this vision, the prophet sees the Lord preparing this swarm. Now, as you think about the swarm of locusts, they, 
they're, they're a destructive force. You know, when, when you think about how, how God brought judgment to Egypt, what, what God did in Egypt to finally get the Pharaoh to let God's people go. You know, one of those plagues that came on the land was a swarm of locusts. It's, it's, it's devastating. And when you live in a world that they live, lived in, you, you know, you, you rewind time a few thousand years. Um, if I remember correctly, this is, oh, about, you know, 2,700 years ago. For, for a plague like that to come, you know, how are they going to recover from that? Even today in modern times, if you were raising a garden in your yard, living in the city, knowing full well that if a plague of locusts came and ate up everything that you grew, you could probably get on the internet and, and find a local gardening group and say, hey, you guys, locusts hit my garden. Did anybody re- remain untouched from this? Can I buy some veggies from you to replenish my garden? I mean, you can probably restore what you lost pretty quickly. But when a plague hits a nation, who's left standing, right? And th- this swarm is depicted as coming after the king's harvesting, after the king's mowing. You notice it said that it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. So I just want to touch on that real quick. Here's the people. They're raising crops, trying to feed their families, trying to feed their people. You know, they want to raise enough for themselves and raise enough to, to sell and trade with their neighbors. And the king, just like God told them, way back when they first had eyes on having a king ruling over them, you know, the king's going to take from you. And uh, this says here that it's after the king's mowings. So first you have a king who's reaping from the people, and then the locusts are going to come and take what's left, right? So the people don't even get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. The king gets to enjoy the fruits of their labor. The people don't. The locusts get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. The people don't. So this is going to be a terrible loss to them. The, the people are, are, are going to be devastated by, by what comes from that. So what does that symbolize? Well, locusts, I used the word devastating a couple of times already. This is devastation that comes. You know, it's, it's an incredible loss when a plague of locusts comes and takes away from what you've been growing. And when you have a plague, it, it doesn't just... The, the locusts don't just focus on the crop that you were raising. I mean, they're eating the trees that you depend on for shade, you know. So when you do replant your crop, it's going to be in full sunlight. It's not going to have the shade that you had set up for it. You know, when you, when you purposely designed your backyard food forest with, I'm going to have some trees here so that way it can shade my garden, and it's going to have afternoon sun, and then later on it'll get shade again. No, it's all gone. All gone. So you're going to have blazing heat. Think about the, the environment where they lived. You know, can, can your seedlings even, even hope to thrive if there's no shade left at all? Remember how Jonah lamented over that gourd when that worm ate it? You know, just imagine how the farmers are going to lament when all the vegetation is gone. So... Uh, that, that's, what it, that's what it's a picture of. And, and these locusts, they come, and, and, and that's what they do. So this vision represents God's judgment. Remember, the locusts that hit Egypt were a judgment from God. It was a plague from God against Egypt. You don't want to let my people go? Fine. We'll go ahead and have a little discussion. But 
nobody's going to meet God in the parking lot after class dismisses, right? God, he hits, gets the final say. And so this is, this is a judgment from God. This, this, uh, this locust swarm that, that Amos saw is just a symbol of this uh, ruin that is, that is getting ready to come upon the people. And Amos intercedes. He sees this coming, and, you know, remember where he came from. He was happily doing his job in Judah. And God says, hey, the people up north are so wicked, I need you to stop what you're doing, and I need you to go and deliver this message. What about his family? What about his wife and his kids? What about his friends? You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that he went with a great entourage. He, he comes and, and he has to go do this. I, I just picture, if that were me, I'd be pretty upset. And I would be happy to tell them, thus saith the Lord. You're a bunch of mess, messed up people, and you need to get right. Judgment is coming. You know, I, I, I mean, you, you ruined my day, Israel. Now I'm going to ruin your night. You, you know what I mean? But he, he sees this vision, and he says, God, no. Jacob is small. When he says Jacob, he's referring to the nation of Israel. Jacob is small, you know? How, how is Jacob going to recover from this? And even today, you know, when, when we're taking a look at the events that are happening right now in the Middle East, and you think about Israel and what a speck they are on the map, you know, and you have all these other Arab nations around that are saying, hey, if anybody else comes in and meddles between you know, what's happening with, with Palestine and Israel, if anybody else comes in and meddles, then we're going to get in on it too. Then you have other nations going, fine, if you're going to get in on it, then let me tell you how much might we're going to bring. You, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's a big old demonstration of force, right? But why? Why are we even talking about supporting them? Because of how small they are. And Amos sees how small they are, and he says, God, how are they going to survive? So he intercedes for them, and God, he relents. He says, okay, Amos, you care about them. I, I hear what you're saying. I won't do it. You know, I, I think about Moses when God said, you know what? These people, oh, I'm so frustrated with these people. I'm just going to destroy them, and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. You know, I'll, I'll still fulfill my promise. You, Moses, are a descendant of Abraham. So I'm still true to my word. I destroy all of them, and I raise a people through you because I'm so fed up with them. And, and Moses is like, no, God, don't do it. And here's Amos like, God, no, please don't do it. And again, God says, okay, okay, I won't. You know, he's willing to show mercy. He's willing to show kindness. You know, and sometimes he'll show mercy and kindness even when the person who's worthy of judgment isn't the one who repented. In this case, it was Amos who's interceding on their behalf. Amos who, who's saying, no, God, don't do it. God, they're small. God, show mercy. And God says, okay, I'll show mercy. That's awesome, right? What, what God's willing to do when somebody is willing to intercede on behalf of, behalf of somebody else. So this vision, this is a warning of God's judgment on the unrighteousness of the people. 
in the, in the north, right? And so we see here the role of the prophet. He's supposed to deliver a message, right? That's, that's a prophet's job. And the prophet also took on a, an, an additional role as an intercessor. You know, as, as a people, as, as a group of people today in modern times, we, we're believers, right? And we live in a world surrounded by sinners. How discouraging that can be when everywhere you look is just rampant sin. And what a refuge it is. What an oasis it is in a desert of ungodliness when you can come to church in the middle of the week and get together with other believers. You know, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And I hope that you don't ever feel like it's a chore, that it's a burden to come to church, because it is a great blessing to be able to come out here. Um, the, the church family that we have and the leaders of our church that we have, these are people who, who care about you and who intercede for you. You know, I mentioned that I was thankful to hear Pastor pray for me, and uh, I'm thankful for, for anybody who prays for me. I'm thankful that, that, you know, anybody would think to do that because we all have struggles that we deal with. And, and you know, we could spend every moment of our prayer just praying for ourselves <laughs> because life is so hard sometimes. And yet there are people who take a moment to think about you. And they offer, they offer prayers for you. You know, that's an incredible blessing. And, and Amos shows us what power there is when you're willing to do that for somebody else. Okay. When you're willing to ask for God's mercy on behalf of somebody else. Uh, you take a look at the vision of fire now. Let's take a look at the vision of fire. So this vision, God's stirring up, getting preparing to send fire. This fire is so intense that it's going to dry up the waters. It's going to dry up the deep, right? It's going to dry up all the waters. It's going to dry up the land. It's just completely destroy the land. So Amos sees this vision of locusts. He's like, no, how are they supposed to recover? And then God says, okay, okay, uh, no locusts. Fire. We'll go ahead and send fire. <laughs> how much more devastating is fire? <laughs> and and Amos is like, God, no. <laughs> but this is like, this is serious. God really wants to, to send judgment on these people. Not that he wants to destroy any of us, but because their sin is so bad, right? Their sin is so bad. And so here we have this all-consuming fire, God's judgment that God is just ready to pour out upon these people, right? Uh, normally, when you read about fire, a lot of times it's going to symbolize, you know, God's presence, the purity of God. You know, you think about um, the, the word of God, you know, being tried like fire. Um, you know, and, and so a lot of times you think about that in a positive light, but very often you're going to see fire used as a picture of judgment. This is definitely one of those pictures of judgment, okay? And so uh, this judgment is completely worthy. I mean, it's, it's, it's totally called for. You know, there's nothing out of the character of God. If he were to go ahead and destroy them by fire, or if he were to destroy us by fire, he would be righteous to do so because we deserve it, okay, because we deserve it. However, he's merciful, right? He's merciful. And so once again, just like the vision of the locusts, Amos intercedes, right? He pleads, God, don't, no, please don't do it. And, and again, the Lord repented of it. He, he said, all right, Amos, uh, you don't want me to do it. 
I'm willing to show mercy. I'm willing to, to show forgiveness. And if you're asking me to do that, I will. So this is just another example of that uh, and uh, another um, emphasis. You know, sometimes the Bible uses, God uses uh, repetition in the Bible to just drive a point home. And that just further drives the point home. You know, that God wants to show mercy on us. God wants to give us second chances. And then after we take that second chance, he wants to give us another second chance and another second chance. And you notice I keep saying second chance. I'm not saying and then a third chance and then a fourth chance. You know why? Because God says that he forgets it. Once he forgives it, he forgets it. He puts it behind him. He doesn't dwell on that. We dwell on it, but he doesn't. And so as far as he's concerned, when he gives us another chance, although that might be the thousandth chance that he's giving us, to him it's a second chance. You know, praise the Lord for his mercy. And so, um, again, God, in his response, he, he relents and he says, okay, I won't do it. I won't do it. And so this uh, vision of the fire, again, it reinforces that impending judgment that we saw from the locusts. Okay, it's just another, another vision, another type of the same judgment that the people definitely deserve to receive. You know, think about the, the dream that uh, Pharaoh had when, uh, you know, he's told, oh, yeah, these two. They're, they're the same dream. It means the exact same thing. You know, these two visions, they mean the same thing. God is ready to pour out judgment, and God is willing to provide forgiveness, and he's willing to uh, show mercy. Now you have the plumb line, and uh, I, I should ask, and, and normally I don't ask for a show of hands, so I'll, I'll just go ahead and stick with what I normally don't do because I hate raising my hand, you know, uh, you know, and there are times when I do, but there's a lot of times when I don't. And then all of a sudden, the congregation gets called out. Oh, okay, so I guess you're all perfect. And then I'm like, okay, I should have raised my hand. You know, um, so a plumb line. Uh, if, if you didn't know, I was going to ask you, how many of you know what a plumb line is? All right. But I, I know that probably not everybody does. And so we'll just go ahead and cover it real quick. It's a tool, and it's used in construction. A builder would, would use a, a plumb line to provide a vertical frame of reference for whether or not something is true, whether or not something is perfectly aligned. You see, this thing has a, it's a it's, it's, you, can, you can have a plumb line that you make at home. You know, you can, you can use string with a bolt tied at the end of it, or, or maybe you probably want something a little smaller, like a, maybe a nut that would screw at the end of a bolt. But you can, you can just tie that at the end. You know, I mean, a, a fancy plumb line is going to be like a little arrow, and it's going to be weighted, and it's going to be made of brass and real heavy, and uh, it's going to be at the end of a string, and somebody who doesn't know what they're looking at might think that this is some sort of, like, you know, weapon that, you know, you're supposed to swirl around and throw at your enemy. But, you know, what it does is it hangs down, and it shows what's true up and down. Okay, what's true up and down. And God, in this vision, you know, we, we see the Lord standing by a wall. And in, in, the wall, in, in the vision that Amos said, the wall is described as being made by a plumb line. Okay, so this isn't a wall that somebody just put together. At my house, I, I, I want to continue a block wall that was built years ago, and uh, it, was, it was terminated abruptly before the property line because of a berm. And so it was terminated there because, you know, that berm kind of could have been decorated with plants and stuff to look nice, but it never happened. And so I'm like, you know what? Let's just send that wall all the way to the end, all the way to the property line. Property line, But I don't know how to do it. 
So I, brought some, I bought some blocks, and they're just sitting there. I bought some rebar, and it's just sitting there. Eventually, I'll get around to it, okay? But if I were to do it, this wall is going to be all crooked, and that's why I haven't done it. You know, I, I don't want it to be crooked. I don't want it to be all, you know, funky. You, you know, I, I want it to look nice. Even though it's in a corner of the yard that nobody will probably ever see, I still want it to look good. And this wall looked good in Amos's vision. This wall was made by a plumb line. That means that it was constructed perfectly. Okay? It was constructed perfectly. It, it is aligned with a vertical line. Okay? It's aligned with a, with a per- vertical line, and that means that this wall is completely aligned. It is straight, and it is correct. There's nothing awry with this wall. Now, the Lord, he holds this plumb line in his hand. That means he's the builder. He is the builder. And we all know that the Lord is the creator of everything, right? Now, he's, he's holding this plumb line, showing us that he's the builder. Well, if he's the builder, he's the architect. He has the right to define what the parameters are for what is straight. How long should this wall be? How tall should this wall be? How many blocks should be in this wall? You know, should, should those blocks, if they're, if they're uh, cinder blocks like what I have at my house, should those blocks be completely filled with cement or is that not necessary? All of, that's, he gets to decide that, right? He's God and he gets to choose how well built that wall is going to be. Or in the case of the vision, which is a re- representation of something, he gets to decide how righteous we live our lives. He has that right to put the rules out for us to live by. So that that plumb line is a symbol of God's standard of righteousness. God has has, has the right to say, I decide what righteousness is. I decide what judgment, what justice is. I decide whether or not you're doing a good job of exercising judgment on my behalf. You religious leaders, you political leaders, I have a right to decide whether or not you are represent, representing me adequately. He has that right. And believers, he has that right in our lives today. So he's the builder. He's the creator. Um, so that, that's his standard. You know, the, the builder is going to use a plumb line to, to make something perfectly upright, perfectly aligned. And God says, you know what? My plumb line doesn't deal with up and down and crooked of something physical and something temporary and something that at the end of time isn't going to, isn't even going to be here. Okay. It's not even going to survive the final judgment. God's plumb line is dealing with something that we have to live by that we're supposed to model our lives after his moral, moral and ethical standards. He gets to choose what is right. He gets to choose what is wrong. There are so many times that believers today, that we decide whether or not something is right, even though somebody else says, well, have you considered what the Bible says? And you're like, oh, well, you know, you're reading into that. Be careful. I mean, at least consider what the word of God says. If somebody's saying that, you know, have you considered? Did you know that the Bible says blah, blah, blah about what you're doing? At the very least, look at it. Consider it. That way you can say, yes, I have studied that. You know, at the very least, do that. You're really doing yourself a favor 
okay? It's, it's, it's not for me, and it's not for anybody else, okay? It, it, you're not going to affect, you usually won't affect anybody else, okay? Yeah, there are definitely believers who are going to be hurt by the decisions that you make if you choose to do something wrong, and, and you should be mindful of that. But usually, it's, it's you who's going to hurt if you choose to make a wrong choice. And it's your kids who are going to be hurt if you choose to make a wrong choice. So just be mindful of that. Hey, God has a plumb line. Take a look at what his standard is. Okay, he has an expectation. A builder of a building has a right to set those standards. Then certainly the creator of the universe and the savior of our souls also has a right to set down some rules. Don't you think? I mean, I feel like that's just logical. So anyway, God asks Amos. <laughs> this is kind of neat. You know, uh, he says, he says uh, what seest thou? And Amos, very deep thinker, a plumb line. Okay, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> That's a very simple answer, right? Very simple answer. Amos is like, a plumb line. Uh, and, and so God says, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, let me tell you what this plumb line represents, though. So God's response is very profound, right? It's very profound. And, you know, he says, hey, I'm setting a plumb line for my people. Okay, I'm setting a plumb line for my people. And so you might, you might have thought while I was talking about the wall and, you know, its application, you know, Carlo, where'd you get that from? Well, God is the one who made the application for us, okay, that this plumb line is being set for his people. And so God is getting ready to judge them based on his standards that he has already established. This isn't some rule that he's throwing out in the middle of the game. Have you ever been in a, in, in a game, you know, like maybe you go to uh, a get-together and somebody says, oh, hey, we're going to play a game. And you're like, okay, how do you play it? And they tell you the rules and you're like, cool, you learned the rules. I remember one time one of the games that we were playing was, you know, hey, we're going we're gonna to see how many of these postcards you can throw into a wastebasket. And here's the line. You can't cross, you cannot step across this line. Okay, you can't step across this line. And the trash can is there and you've got these cards in your hand. Well, you guys, if I, if I take a card and I've got a, a, a basket right there and I'm supposed to get this card into there and I can't step across the line, the person who set the rules and who doesn't keep in mind that there are people like me who are looking for loopholes, all right? Uh, and, and you guys might have noticed that whenever we have uh, church family Olympics, that they lately make references to don't look for loopholes. That's my fault. Okay. So uh, anyway, so... We were, we were playing a game, and they said, yeah, you know, you can't step across the line. You need to make it into the basket, and these are the cards. And so I said, okay, I can do that. And so I'm like, hey, you're on my team, right? Hold my hand. And so they hold my hand, and now I'm leaning out. I'm leaning out, and, you know, I flick it over there, and it just misses the basket. I'm like, hold on a second. They didn't say crumble it up. Now I have a nice little ball. Hold my hand, lean me out. Toss this little ball into the wastebasket. Yes, we 100% went into it. And then all of a sudden, like, okay, how many teams got, you know, this many, you know, or more? And our team, like, got all of them. I'm like, what? Show me. And I t take the basket and I dump them all out. And there's a bunch of crumbled up postcards. Like, brother, you cheated. Like, hold on a second. <laughs> Uh, 
And then this new rule is, is, is brought out, you know, like, no, you can't deface the card and no, you can't lean beyond the line. I know I said that you can't step beyond it, but really you can't, you can't break this imaginary plane and, and you need to leave the card intact. And I'm like, you know, God isn't doing this to the people. Okay. God, he's saying, I gave you some rules already and we can take, we, we can look, we can flip back. At, at the laws of Moses, you know, and we can find all the rules that were given to the people that they were supposed to abide by, all the rules that they've been violating, okay? He, he, he didn't just, like, you know, sneak in some new rule on them, you know, like, aha, gotcha. No, it was stuff that they should have known already. In fact, for most of them, it was stuff that they knew and they were deliberately disobeying. So. Um, when God brought out that plumb line and uh, he, he let it be known that his people have fallen short of his standards, there's another thing. There's the consequences of, of this judgment. You know? So, so I, I have my sin, and now the judgment is a consequence. And so God tells Amos, he says that the high places of Isaac and the sanctuaries of Israel are, are basically going to be destroyed. And God said that he's going to raise a sword against the house of Jeroboam um, that's interesting. Now, remember, that's Jeroboam the second, not Jeroboam the first. He's going to raise a sword against him. And that, that right there represents not Joam himself, Jeroboam literally himself. Like, yeah, you know, that's going to that's gonna fix all the problems. I'll, I'll just go ahead and assassinate Jeroboam, and then all of Israel's sin will be, will, will be fixed. No, you know, Jeroboam, when, when he pronounced judgment against Jeroboam, I'm going to raise a sword against Jeroboam, all the political leaders, all the religious leaders are going to be judged for their influence over the people who should have been led in the right paths, and instead they were being led astray, okay? And God is bringing judgment on them. So all, uh, all of this, this uh, idolatry, you know, when he said that the high places are going to be torn down, God is saying, I'm, 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 going, to, I'm going to bring judgment against your idolatry. I'm going to bring judgment against your false worship. I'm going to bring judgment against your religious leaders. I'm going to bring judgment against your political leaders. Well, like I told you, Amos, he left his land and he goes up into Israel and he goes to one of the two temples of the golden calf. And uh, they, they probably didn't call their temples that. You know, I call it that because, you know, I call it like it is. So he goes into the temple of the golden calf and there's a priest there named Amaziah. And Amos is sitting here giving these judgments, and we're gonna get, we're gonna get to you know. Obviously, we we started here in chapter seven. We'll take a look at chapter one and chapter two. We'll take a look at at you know when where where the story begins. But I wanted to make sure that you guys see the visions that God gave to Amos um, before we get to the dialogue that Amos brought to the temple. Okay, so anyhow, Amos is telling the people about these visions that he saw, and. Uh, all of a sudden, he says, and, and you, you know, he tells them about what God's going to do against the house of Jeroboam. And the priest is like, ah, ah, okay. So up until this point, Amaziah is staying quiet. He's fuming. He's like, I'm tolerating this guy coming in here with his holier-than-thou than message. But now, now he's talking, he's talking insurrection. He's talking, hey, we're going to kill the king. 
So now let's take a look at Amos chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away, captive out of their own land. Also, Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, so now he's, now he's directing his, his words to Amos. O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there, but prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it's the king's chapel, and it's the king's court. Then entered Amos. Uh, I told you through verse 17, right? Okay, through the end of the chapter. Okay, so then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. Uh, let me just put some context there. Why, why did Amos start with that in his reply? Remember, Amaziah is telling him, hey, seer. So he's calling him a prophet. Hey, seer, go to your own land. My iPad thought that I said, Siri. All right. No, no, I'm not talking to you. So, sorry about that. (laughs) Somebody help me out here. Huh? Yeah, why, why did he start there? You know, he, he's letting him know, you're telling me to go back to my own land and, and be a prophet there. You're telling me to go to my own land and, and make a living as a, as a prophet in Judah. I was no prophet in Judah. I'm here because God told me to come here. When I was in Judah, I had a job. I had a profession. Okay? And, and, and just a reminder, there's nothing wrong with having a profession. Okay, God doesn't call everybody to be a prophet. And Amos is letting him know, I wasn't called to be a prophet. You're telling me to go down there and serve as a prophet down there? I'm not called to do that. All I'm called to do is to carry a message here, and I'm going to do what God told me to do. So there's the context. That's why he responded this way. Uh, And I, I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, prophesy unto my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou, and now he's pronouncing judgment on Amaziah. This is good. This is good. Now, therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword, and thy land shall be divided by line, and thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. I think the priest should have kept his mouth shut. So you, you, you see that this, this vision of the plumb line, that's what set the stage for, for Amaziah to interrupt Amos. And Amos is, is, is like, oh, no, you didn't. I also hate to be interrupted, but God hasn't given me any uh, prophetic word of judgment to bring on somebody who interrupts me, okay? I just need to deal with it when that happens. But, I mean, this priest, he interrupts. Not only does he interrupt, I mean, he snitches to the king. I mean, come on, who does that? You're a grown-up. 
The, the priest is like, okay, I, I want to snitch. I'm going to snitch to the king, and I'm going to tell you, don't, don't do what God told you to do. But this right here is a picture of the resistance that Amos faced in coming to Israel. Nobody wanted to hear from him. Nobody. You know, even the people who were being mistreated in Israel, even the people who were being mistreated, they had open borders. Okay, they had open borders. That's why Amos was able to get into Israel to bring this message that they didn't want to hear. If anybody was in Israel who wanted to follow the Lord, they were free to go down into Jerusalem. They were free to go to Judah. They, they stayed there. They chose to live there. Okay? They chose it. And so whether you're a victim of religious or political oppression in Israel at the time that Amos came and brought this message, or you're the perpetrator of oppression and, and corruption, no matter where you fall, that was your choice. That was you who chose to be there. That was you who chose to participate in it. And Amaziah, if he were truly a priest of God, man, he would have, he would have supported Amos in his, meth, in his uh, mission of delivering this message. You know? But no, he's, he's not truly a priest of God. He was a priest of the temple of the golden calf. You know? And he's like, no, 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 you're coming out here. You're, you're disrupting our groove. You know, get out of here. Get out of here. Go away with this, this, uh, this message. So God brought this call to Amos. You know, God... God brought this call to Amos and these visions uh, that, that Amos gave, that Amos received from God. Amos is, is like, God, God, please, no. And uh, God says, all right, all right, I'll go ahead and have mercy on them. I'll go ahead and have mercy on them. But I have a word for you to take to them. And so that's why I wanted to start with the visions. I know it's, it's, it's weird to read through a book and to go from introduction to chapter 7. Right. I, I know that's, that's kind of, you know, not the standard, but I, I just figured that that would help you guys understand the, the, the context as far as the spiritual condition of the people and the condition of God being at the end of his rope, of the end of his patience. Okay, and we'll, we'll see that further in uh, chapters 1 and 2. There's a figure of speech that's used for, for, you know, for three sins and for four, and we'll take a look at that, basically saying, hey, look, sin after sin after sin after sin. And that's it. I'm done with you. Okay. So God calls on him and, uh, you know, Amos pleads with God. No, don't do it. Remember that right there is a demonstration. One, that Amos is pleading for his people and Amos doesn't want to see his people destroyed. He considers them his people, his brethren. Yeah, sure. They're Israel, but they're fellow Jews, right? And, and he doesn't want to see them destroyed. And God's relenting shows that God also doesn't want to see them destroyed. Okay. God showed Amos the plumb line, though. He showed him the plumb line, and he says, listen, there is a standard. There is a standard, and I'm a righteous judge. Okay. I'm a righteous judge. I'm not just a, the, the builder. I'm not just the one who made the rules, but I'm also the judge of the universe, and I have to be a righteous judge. And I've said that I want you to be holy as I'm holy, and these people aren't holy. Aren't holy. They're not holy at all. And so uh, I have to bring judgment to them. I have to. And you're going to go and you're going to tell them about it. God chose Amos to deliver this message to the people, to go tell them that everything that they've been doing has been wrong. Here's the standard of up and down, of, of, of vertical alignment, and whether or not you're 
you're true to it. You know, um, I, I thought of something as, as we were sitting, sitting here getting ready for church. I thought about the, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew it, but it wasn't designed to be leaning, okay? It started leaning because it was built on a foundation that wasn't sturdy, okay? And God tells us that we're supposed to build our, build our lives on the solid rock, on the Word of God, on Christ, okay? And so these people haven't been building their lives on the Word of God. They haven't been following the instructions of their maker. And so he says, hey, look, your actions have consequences, and you need to turn back to God. Now, you might think, what? You need to turn back to God. Where do you get that from? All I see here is a message of judgment. What did Jonah preach to the people of Nineveh? He brought them a message of judgment, right? That was a very urgent message of judgment. Forty days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But what did the people do? They just assumed something, right? They assumed that, hey, if I'm going to be judged for doing wrong, then I can repent of the wrongdoing and I can be reconciled. I can be made right with the one who sets the rules. This is a call to repentance, okay? Remember, repentance is a theme all throughout the Bible. And I told you guys uh, last week about repentance being one of the primary themes of this book. Uh, repentance is what the Word of God is. is that it's it's going to bring us to repentance if you read it, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to bring the sinner to repentance and call on Christ to save him. It's going to bring a believer who falls into sin, to repentance and ask God to restore them. And we know that we have an advocate with a father, right? And, and that he, Jesus, our advocate, is, is interceding on our behalf. And all we have to do is confess our sins, and he'll be faithful to forgive us our sins, right? So whether you're, you're a pagan and you're lost in your sin, or you're a Christian who made a mistake, right? You, you got angry when you shouldn't have, you know, or whatever it is that you did. David, I mean, man, his sin is pretty gross, isn't it? He didn't just cheat. He didn't just commit adultery. I mean, he murdered somebody, and he orchestrated a conspiracy that brought other soldiers in on the conspiracy. You know, you can't, you can't, put, you can't put a man on the front line to be killed by the enemy, you know, and have everybody withdraw except for him without them knowing that they need to withdraw and leave him. You know, whatever that command was, whatever that command that was given, he wasn't told. He was left out of it. Everybody knew to back off, and everybody knew that when they see him up there alone, not to say, yo, <laughs> don't, you see us, don't you see us withdrawing? No, they, they all backed off, and they left him there to be killed by the enemy archers, okay? David's sin is pretty gross, and you know what? He repented, and he was made right, and the Bible tells us that he's a man after God's own heart. Every one of us has an opportunity to repent. Everybody, every one of us has an opportunity to be reconciled with God. So here, the context of this message, this, this is a message of judgment, sure, but it is a call to repentance. Israel is meant to hear this message, and respond to it by saying, you're right, I've been doing wrong, and I'm going to straighten up my act. But I told you guys last week, 40 years after he came and brought this message to them, 40 years later, 
they were wiped out. They were carried away into, bond, into bondage by the Assyrians. They didn't straighten up their act. They just continued to walk in sin, right? So we need to make sure that we don't learn from their mistakes. Um, I, have, I have a little section here about, um, you know, us reflecting on our own call to repentance. Every one of us here tonight, um, to my knowledge, everybody here is born again. Everybody here is, is a believer in God. Everybody here has called on God to save them. Why would you call on God to save you? Well, because you know that you're a sinner. Because you know that there's a, a penalty for your sin. You know that you deserve that penalty for your sin. And you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so there was a time in your life when you repented. Think back to that moment when you asked God to save you. You know, that was a big deal in your life. That, that put you on a whole new path. Think about, as a believer, the times that you've had to repent because you messed up. You know, and, and, and you repented. The fact that you're here tonight shows that, that you have a desire. I, I, I don't know what your walk is like, okay? I mean, we all have our own walk. We have our own challenges, all right? We have our own race that we're running. Some of us are a little more vocal about how we're experiencing it than other people are. Many people are, are going through their race quietly, privately, you know? Man, have mercy, okay? Show some kindness because you have no idea what somebody's race is like. But in your race, in your walk with God, there's been times where you needed to say, I messed up again, right? So we see that repentance isn't just a one-time turning point in your life, and that's it. Repentance is something that's available to you all throughout your life, all throughout your life. And so think about that. Think about how repentance has, has worked, how, how repentance has changed your life, or at least the times that you've allowed the Holy Spirit of God to work in you and bring you to repentance, that you would, you know, heed the Spirit and that, that, that you would repent. You know, think about the times that you didn't and that you wallowed in bitterness. You know, I've, I've done that. I've done, oh man, I, I've, I've wallowed in bitterness and, and I walked a backslidden path because I didn't repent, you know? And, and during that period of, of being backslidden, I, there's so many things just repeatedly over and over and over that I would have, should have repented for. And I thank God, I thank God for his mercy that he didn't destroy me and that instead he allowed me to, to have a reconciled walk with him, you know? And I, I think about, other believers in my life who knew me and who uh, continued to pray for me and who were willing to say something to me. I think about my brother who told me, man, it's hard to believe that you got saved, you heard the gospel, you got saved, you left Catholicism, you knew how our family felt about leaving Catholicism, you come preaching the gospel to us over and over and over again, and you just wouldn't shut up about it. And then we, we all got saved. And now, now you're not walking with God? It just, it doesn't even compute. It doesn't make sense to me, Carlo. You know, 
I, I'm thankful for people who are willing to talk truth to me, okay? And so Amos comes and he's talking truth to the people of Israel, and the people of Israel don't want to hear it. So consider how uh, repentance has been available to you, how you've used it, how, you, how you, you've responded to that in your life, the times that you hardened up your heart and you didn't respond to it in your life. But just know this, that um, we... We, there, there are times when we'll repent and we'll say, I want to get right with God and I'm, I'm going to make a change and I'm, I'm going to stop doing this thing or this thing that I know that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to start doing this thing and, and you meet resistance. And a lot of times that resistance comes from the devil, but there are times that resistance comes from our family. There are times that resist, and, and remember the, the warning that, receive, that we receive every year before teen camp. What are we always told? Parents, remember to be supportive of your teens when they come back from teen camp. They're going to hear the word of God. They're going to be away from their friends. They're going to be away from technology, away from TV. They're going to be surrounded by spiritual activities, and they might make some decisions for God, and you need to encourage them in it. You need to support them in it. Why do we receive that warning? Why do we receive that encouragement? Why? because Christians sometimes are the obstacle in the paths of other Christians. Okay, yeah, we shoot our wounded, and we need to not do that. And so when, when you see somebody and they repent and they say, you're right, I was wrong, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again, but then they do it again, you have an opportunity to kick them, and say, you said you were never going to do that again. You're nothing but a hypocrite. You're never going to get right with God. You're a big failure. You have an opportunity to do that. I mean, you can go ahead and use your words to hurt if you want, right? You can also use your words to encourage, to exhort, to build up, to strengthen. You know, that's a, that's a good use of our words too. So the only reason why I shared that with you is because, hey, uh, sometimes, sometimes our our understandings of uh, spiritual truths are are really reinforced when we hear testimony from somebody, and um, so I thought I'd share that with you about uh, you know the times that I've blown it, <laughs> and, and the fact that God was still willing to take me back anyway. Okay, and so um, that that brings us to the next point: the repent, repentance brings hope. If, if repentance is available to you, then, then hope is still there. Hope is still present. Don't ever let anybody take hope away from you, all right? Uh, God, God sent this message of judgment to Nineveh, and there was still hope for Nineveh. God sent this message of judgment to Israel, but there was still hope for Israel. Obviously, they didn't take it. Uh, God, sent, God sent many messages of, of uh, judgment to Judah, and, and for a long time, they heeded but eventually they, they messed up too, you know? And so, you know, we, we, we have a saying in, in modern times that we need to make sure that we learn from history or we're doomed to repeat it. You know, it doesn't have to be your own history that you're repeating, you know, and it doesn't have to be your own history that you're learning from. You can learn from somebody else's history. So let's, let's take a moment to, to really understand what happened here in this era when Amos brought this message and how they reacted to it, how they responded to it. And let's learn from their history and let's not allow this history to repeat itself in our lives. Okay? So uh, let's go ahead and, and wrap it up there. 
Um, I, I think traditionally uh, a preacher. Now, over here, Brother Hunter is teaching the men who are in his class about hermeneutics and preparing a lesson. You guys all know that I've never been formally trained, so I'll go ahead and do my best to wrap it up, but I probably won't do it like one of those guys. So tonight we covered the visions. We saw the visions of the locusts, the fire, and the plumb line. All right. We saw the resistance to the message by a priest, by a priest. <laughs> uh, we saw God's call on Amos to carry this message to Israel. Uh, we see that this, this uh, call of repentance was available to them, that it's available to us today, and that um, the fact that re- repentance is an option means that hope is always available. And um, again, uh, I, I just want to remind you about Nineveh. Nobody told them that there was hope. They were only told about destruction. They were only told about destruction. When we have the full canon of Scripture, we have promises in here. Okay? So make sure that you're reading this book. Make sure that you're paying attention, that your ears are open, that you're not turning away your ear from hearing the Word of God, but rather you're opening your ear and you're opening your heart. You're coming with a tender heart when the Word of God is opened up and preached, that, that you learn from everything that's contained within the pages of this book about the hope that's available to us. There's so much. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Wow. Something that they didn't have. So we, we're really empowered. We're really supernaturally empowered in a way that they weren't. And this message that we just read about, although they, they were too hard-hearted to hear it, I don't think that there should be anybody in, in, in this room tonight who uh, would have a hard time hearing and understanding this message. And so we just know that that plumb line that God was holding, he still holds it. And he still has the right to set the rules. He still has the right to uh, decide what the standards of judgment are, what the standards of righteousness are. And, and we still have an opportunity to make sure that we're following the guidelines that he's established. So, brethren, let's just make sure that we're committed to follow the Lord. All right? So let's uh, pray, and then we'll be dismissed.